Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. So the last few weeks we've been thinking about um, fear of man, and one of the, the premises that we have established is that the, the way we conquer fear of man is not just by saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, but actually by looking to the Lord and growing our view of God, our fear of God, our awe of God. And as we do that, um, you know, people kind of shrink down to their actual size. Uh, it's like the, the cereal boxes that have the picture on it, you know, the actual size is this, you know, so... Um, when we look at God and what he's like, it helps us to conquer fear of man. And so that's something that we have steadily um, talked about. Um, but even with that being said, we have uh, spent some time digging into different categories of fear of man. Do you remember we spent three weeks um, thinking about different ways that we fear man or different reasons that we fear man? Uh, we fear that we might be, do you remember, any, anybody remember the, the phrases? We fear we might be, uh, what, what might man do to us? What? Exposed, right. So that something that I am embarrassed about or ashamed of might come to light and uh, I'll, I'll be exposed, right? What else? Fear. Rejection, yes. Um, fear that these people, you know, will... Uh, not like me, put me down, make me feel small, you know, any number of things, but that fear of rejection. Anybody remember the third one? This was last week, I think. Fear of harm, yeah, that they would actually do something to hurt me. Um, And so we spent time in each of those and and understood that um, to a degree, and especially even last week's with harm, there's, there's some legitimacy to that, right? We don't want to um, intentionally put ourselves in harm's way, uh, but ultimately, the encouragement was to trust the Lord, to fear the Lord and submit to Him uh, and trust Him, even if there are scenarios where He calls us to walk through harm. So tonight, as we sort of uh, wind down the fear of man, fear of God uh, half of this class, we're thinking specifically about what, what do we do instead, right? So, you know, we talked about fearing God but how do we do that, number one? What does that look like to fear God? And then number two, what kind of living does that lead to? The other way to talk about it is, number one, what does this look like vertically to not fear man and to fear God? But then after that vertical relationship is right, what does life look like horizontally? So if I've been defaulting to fear of man and the way I interact with people is just constantly so that they'll like me, so that they'll be happy with me, so they won't reject me. You know, if that's what, I, if that's what I've been doing, what's my new pattern, right? So what does it actually look like to interact with people if fear of God is what's motivating me? Do I just not care about people? You know, so we're going to try to set up an understanding of what God calls us to. Um, and this won't surprise you. You've heard this before. But basically, the new paradigm is this. We love and serve, right? That starts vertically with God. The right response to God is to love him and serve him. But then that ends up being what he calls us to do horizontally as well. We love and we serve, right? 
Um, and so that becomes, rather than fear and needing, we love and serve. So think of it like, uh, you know, reversing the flow on plumbing. You know, right? have you ever had a plumbing problem at your house, right? Uh, there's no feeling like, you know, you flush the toilet and the water comes up and, you know, it's like it's starting to overflow and you can't get to the valve to shut it off fast enough. It's like, just stop the water, right? Um, or, you know, there's a pipe that breaks. We were changing a, um, a hose bib, a water spigot here at the church. And uh, the job was complete. Everything was good. Just making the last, just tightening it the last little bit. And uh, the valve failed. It just cracked and broke and popped off. You know, water starts spraying everywhere. So run to the shutoff valve. Shut it off, right? You know, when something happens like that, it's like, ah, shut the water off and get it to go the other way. So what happens with fear of man, fear of God, is the water's running this direction. So I look at people... Uh, with some kind of need, right? I need acceptance from them. I need not, you know, to hide from what they might think of me. I need, you know, so it's all coming this way. It's all about me. I'm, I'm leeching off of people around me. I need something from you. Fearing God turns the whole thing around the other direction. So it shuts the water off this way, and all of a sudden, I find all that I need from God, right? So he's filling me up with love acceptance, satisfaction, you know, righteousness, all the things that I might be looking for from people, God fills me up with those things, and I have it all. It's just like, oh. And then the water continues to flow from me, and I have the opportunity then to show love and kindness because I'm good. God, God cares for me. I, I have all I need in him, right? So it sort of reverses that flow in our interactions with people. So there are two stages to that. The first one is a reorientation with God. That's kind of reversing the flow, right? Um, in fear of man, you know, I'm, I care about what people think, and so I need something from them, and then it's almost as if I'm trying to prove something to God. And so to reverse that flow, we start with God's love for us, which was determined and defined before I had anything good about myself, right? It was while I was still a sinner. So if you would, open to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter I'm going to read um, verse, starting verse 7, actually all the way through chapter 5, verse 3. Um, as I read, here's, here's what I want you to catch, okay? I want you to catch terminology that addresses the vertical relationship, okay? And here's a clue. It's going to have the word love a lot, okay? Um, so what are we told in these verses about Love, God's love for us and vice versa, okay, the vertical side. Then I also want you to notice the connection to the horizontal side, love for others, okay? So just 
you know, you'll, you'll hear it a lot, but just notice those two things as we go. The vertical relationship and what it's like and the horizontal relationship is what it's like. All right, starting in chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believe that the love Excuse me, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him, who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I should have counted uh, how many times the word love comes up in those verses. It'd be kind of interesting to know that. Uh, if you didn't catch the idea, it's uh, quite frequent, right? Uh, the, the tone of this relationship between us and God and between us and others is love. It's love. Uh, and I want you to notice a few things about the pattern. We're going to think, first of all, about God's love for us. So, that, so we're starting with the vertical relationship. Or another way to put this is a reorientation toward God. So understanding the flow in this direction. And sometimes, again, we think, well, I need uh, to be accepted. I need to prove things with people so that God will accept me, right? So if I do well enough with people around me, then I'll prove I'm worthy of God's love. And so we get the flow backwards. And so we've got to reorient things. Remember, none of the flow starts with God who chose to love us before we had anything good uh, worth loving. Okay, so... Notice a few things from these verses about God's love. Number one, notice that God is love. We see that in verse 7, we see that in verse 8, and we see that in verse 16. It's repeated uh, multiple times. God is love. Now, 
this is like, you know, feel like we're going to a kid's class here, right? Maybe you, if you've been in church all your life, may, hopefully you had some lesson like this, you know, in twos and threes or something. God is love. And, but honestly, this is the kind of thing we should not move past because, I mean, the, the, the riches of information in that little phrase, God is love, uh, are, are just vast. Think about it. That God is love. That means that every action that God has ever taken is love. Every thought he's ever had toward you is love. He is love. Everything about him, everything he is and does is defined as love. Pretty amazing when you pause to think about that. Uh, and so it's, it's who he is. It's what he's like. And it, it defines how he acts toward us. God is love. Not only do we see that, but we also see that God loved us first. God loved us first. This is in verse 9, in verse 10, in verse 11, and in verse 19. God took the first step. And this is, again, this is huge. This is what reverses the flow, where I don't have to be down here thinking, oh, I've got to earn enough you know, human merit so I can prove to God that I'm you know, worthy of his salvation. No, no, no. God chose to move toward me in love um, before I had anything worthwhile to offer him, while I was still a sinner, right? I was dead in my trespasses and sins. So God made the first move. That's huge. And that just, that settles so much in our lives. Um, He saw me, you know, when God looks down on us, he looks down as the omniscient one. Right? When we meet somebody new, maybe at the store, maybe here at church, they come to church, right? And you, you introduce yourself. There's something kind of refreshing about that, right? Because they don't know anything about you. And so it's your first impression, you know, so you give a big smile and a warm handshake and try to be really nice to this person because you want to make a good first impression and they don't, they don't know all your deep, dark secrets, right? With God, when he chose to love us, he knew everything about us everything, right? So there's no, there's no hope for just like a, you know, a good first impression. He saw it all, right? He knows things about me that I don't know about me yet. And he still made the first move and chose to love me. That is just so reassuring, right? And it totally changes the flow of things. It comes from God to me, and he moved first, uh, he loved me first. Okay. Number three, God showed his love by sending his son to be our savior. God showed his love by sending his son to be our savior. Now, God has shown his love in many ways, um, but this is maybe the, the clearest, brightest example of his love, manifestation of his love is the sending of his son. Notice specifically verses 9 and 10. This is also mentioned in verse 14 and in chapter 5, verse 1, but I want to focus in on verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John wants to make sure we understand that the flow is headed the other direction. In this is love, not that we loved him, That's not what started this whole thing, (laughs) but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation, wrath-removing sacrifice. The sacrifice that would pay for our sins and pay for God's just wrath on sin. You know God's wrath on evil is actually his love. Love abhors what is evil and clings to what is good. And so it is loving of God to punish evil, right? Uh, And so it was God's love that also provided a salvation for us so that God could both punish evil as well as show us grace and mercy through the propitiation which is his son. It was just amazing to pause and reflect on his love. This is the, the visible presentation of his love. So he did this in our grossness, our messiness, our sinfulness. How do we know he loved us in our sin? Because what was required was to send his son to die for our sins, right? This is just amazing love from our God. He showed his love by sending his son. The next idea we learn is that God's perfect love casts out fear. Now, we've been using the word fear in a, not a unique way, but in a specific way in this class. When we talk about fear of God, uh, we're talking about a, a broad term for fear, which includes respect and awe and reverence, right? Now, within that broader term for fear, there's a, there's a section of fear that we could call terror. Like, it's just when you're absolutely terrified and afraid uh, of, of, you know, being harmed or hurt or, you know, anything like that. It's just that terror sense of fear. So, That's the way John begins using the word here. He says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. God's perfect love has done something for us. It's taken away the terror of God's judgment. He says that in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So God's love, sending his son Jesus to die in our place, to take God's wrath instead of me, takes away the torment of judgment. So that when that final day comes, whenever that is, and I have to stand before God and give account uh, for my actions, because of Jesus, I don't stand in the eternal judgment line. Right? I don't stand in the line where I have to pay for my own sins for eternity. In Christ, God has moved in a completely different line, the resurrection of the just to eternal life with him. Uh, and he's, so, so, so the terror of that final day is gone because of Jesus. That's what his perfect love does. So now my relationship with the Father is you know, this direction from him, And it's completely love, and it's the kind of love that has removed the terror of judgment. The torment is gone. I'm at peace with God because of Jesus. Isn't that amazing to think about? So this direction of the flow, that that God has loved me in Christ, and that because I trusted in Christ as my Savior, my sins are washed away, I'm dressed in Christ's righteousness, I don't fear torment or judgment any longer, it's like... That is love perfected right there. And that's where we're just, we're, we're full. I'm fine. I'm okay. God has done that for me. So I could breathe deeply and be at rest. I'm satisfied because of what God has done for me in Christ. 
So again, in verses 17 and 18, because as he is, so are we in this world. That's an interesting phrase. It's actually the reason that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Why do we have boldness in the day of judgment? Because as he is, so are we in the world. I think this is what that means. Already, like right now, today, if I've trusted in Christ as my Savior, God has dressed me in the righteousness of Christ. And so when God looks down on me, as he is, Jesus is, so I am in the world. So the Father looks down at me with love. Now remember, he chose that love when I didn't look like Jesus, right? His choice was to love me when, when all he saw was sin and awfulness. But now he's dressed me in the righteousness of Christ. And as Jesus is, so I am in the world. So as the Father looks upon me, he sees his Son in the righteousness of Christ. And so therefore, there is no fear of his judgment. It's good stuff. It's super encouraging and a helpful reminder for us. So this becomes a foundation, that that vertical relationship. Now, let's pause for just a moment with, with some discussion here. Because I want, you to, I want you to recall how helpful this is when it comes to fear of man. Okay, remember our three categories? Uh, fear of rejection, fear of exposure, fear of harm. Okay, um, How do God's love and power, so that combination, we know that God's almighty, we haven't talked a lot about that tonight, but um, he's far more powerful than men. How do God's love and power, that combination, stamp out, let's start with fear of harm from others. How do God's love and power stamp out our fear of harm from others? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So God's got, he, he's got my eternity. I'm secure, right? Worst case scenario is they, they kill me. You know, I'm, I'm still safe. Mm-hmm. Good. What else? Whatever happens here is temporal, right? Temporary, good. Yes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you're dead. Right. That's, that's it. Right. That's <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Good. So I, I liked the uh, both both the aspects what you said there, Tony. But the that first part, everything that happens to me comes through his his love. Right. So because he's all powerful and loving. Uh, that's a really good combination. And so, you know, sometimes if, if I begin worshiping comfort and then God 
in his love, brings something that's uncomfortable. It's tempting to get frustrated with God. Like, hey, I was comfortable. <laughs> you know, and there can be some very seriously uncomfortable situations. Um, but even those things, to trust his power and his love, and that, you know, this, this isn't like God slipped up or this thing that happened to me is, is more powerful than God is. Nope. Um, or that his love somehow failed in this case. Nope. So, you know, just reorienting the way we view our circumstances, um, his power and his love guarantee that this is always for my good. And there'll be times that that makes me uncomfortable. I have to trust God through those times. But um, that's super encouraging, super helpful. Good. Okay, let's go to the next one. How do God's love and power stamp out our fear of rejection from man? How do God's love and power stamp out our fear of rejection? Mm-hmm. Right. Good. So it's the fear of authenticity. Mm-hmm. So they believe Christ criticized them Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so we have, mm-hmm, we have a perfect example in the Lord Jesus Christ when he was rejected for us, right? He pressed on in, in doing the Lord's will. And then, yeah, good encouragement, Lydia, that we're accepted in him. So, you know, it's not pleasant to be rejected by people, but at the end of the day, if God accepts me, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um yeah, and so there's great encouragement there. Third one, how do God's love and power stamp out fear of exposure before men? An audience of one? Yeah, an audience of one, so it really only, only deeply caring what the Lord thinks. Good. What else? Yeah, you already forget. Like he, yeah, and is, is anything that comes out of me a surprise to him? No, he knew it all, right? So there's no, there's no exposure left with God. It's all exposed. Um, one of the, uh, the more uncomfortable verses of scripture is in uh, Hebrews chapter four, talking about how the word of God it's sharper than two-edged sword, and it goes on and says, all things are laid open and bare before him. Uh, and if, if it just ended there, I think it's verse, I can't remember if it's the verse 13 or 14. Um, 
But at any rate, if it ended there, it'd just be this super uncomfortable verse because, you know, it's just, it's like those awkward dreams where you don't have any clothes on and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, but it's, it's what it is. It's like, it's just laid open and naked before the Lord. Ah, but then it, the very next verse is, but we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses and we come boldly before the throne of grace. That's verse 15. So super encouraging stuff when we think about Jesus. It's already been exposed to God. He knows it all. He sees it all. And and he has chosen to love me, which is so cool. Um, So on top of that, not only has he seen it all and chosen to love me, he has also justified me. So three quick words to help you with the three fears. Uh, fear of harm. In Christ, I'm protected by the Father, right? Nothing can ultimately harm me. I may be uncomfortable. I might even spend some time asleep, as Tony was saying, right? In death until the resurrection. But nothing can ultimately harm me. In Christ, I'm protected. Fear of rejection. In Christ, I'm accepted, right? Done, permanent, always. The Father has accepted me. I don't have to fear rejection. Fear of exposure, in Christ I'm justified, right? So God has settled uh, all of those things in his power and love. Okay, let's continue on in 1 John here. Number five, the first response to God's love is to love him in return. And uh, verse 16, 19, and then chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, all talk about how uh, the right response to his love is to, to love him back. Um, and you see that there's no, that's no surprise to us. Uh, we know that's the great command, right? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so it's just the natural response. If, if I've experienced God's love, if he's filled me uh, with his spirit at salvation, then of course I will love him in return. It's the right response to God. But it's not, we have to keep the flow the right way, right? So it's not me just trying to repay God. It's just the right response to him just completely filling me. Think of a, think of a waterfall or, you know, whatever you want to think of, uh, but just this abundant flow of his love from above um, in Christ. And so, you know, you just kind of soak it in and just love him in return. But it doesn't end there. He has a job for us then horizontally. And so that second response is to love others, to love others. Yes. Uh, as I understand it, God's love uh, is referred to as agape love. Yeah. And man's love is referred to as So as a sin nature, how can I love God the same way you love me? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't. Okay. I can't, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can begin to because I have his spirit in me, and one of the fruits of the spirit is love. So um, I, can, I can grow to begin to show that right kind of love back to God. Um, but I won't completely be like Christ until the resurrection, right? And so it's a, it's a process. But yeah, uh, in my own strength, can't do it. But the spirit enables us to, to love and respond. And we actually see it in verse 13. Uh, by this we know we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And so we have that ability to be in relationship with God because God's implanted his spirit in us, which is an amazing concept in of itself. Great, great question, Jim. So uh, number six, the, resp- the second response to God's love is to love 
others. So we find satisfaction in God's love. He's accepted me. He's protecting me. He's justified me in Christ. Um, And so I don't have to worry about me anymore. In my horizontal relationships, I'm no longer, you know, trying to draw things from people. Um, Oh, that they would show me more respect and oh, that they would accept me and oh, show me some honor and, you know, whatever it is that we're, we're seeking from people around us. We don't need that anymore. I have all I need in Christ. God has been kind to me. And so the flow reverses, and now all of a sudden, I'm empowered, I'm able to show love and kindness to others, and that really is the Christian life. So that moves us to the second half now, the horizontal side of things. Um, I'll pause here for a moment. Any other questions about the first half, the vertical, our relationship with God, and that Love from him uh, that quiets our fear. Yeah. Rejection, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts or questions? All right. Onward. Lots of blanks to get you in the second half here, so we're going to have to pick up the pace. We're still in 1 John chapter 4. And uh, now we want to think about that horizontal side of things. So we're going to see a few aspects of uh, the way that God's love compels us to love others. First of all, we notice that it motivates us to love others. This is in verse 7, verse 11, as well as in verse 19. I'll just pick on verse 19. Uh, Some translations say we love him. not all translations have that. That word him is in some manuscripts, not in others. The idea generally is that we love, the, the only ability we have to love is that he first loved us. And so it's our, it's our motivation for showing love is that he loved us. The same logic is used in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another because, or for, love is of God. So it starts with God. It comes from him. He is love. And that motivates us to show that love to others. Number two, God's love fully equips us to show love to others. So this is kind of um, Jim's question that he asked uh, before. We notice that in verses 12 through 16, God has actually empowered us to put on display what God's love is like. Now, as Jim was pointing out, I don't have the capacity to do that in myself, right? My nature is to love me, which is not agape love. (laughs) That's not sacrificial love. That's idolatry. Uh, But something has happened. Notice verses 12 through 16. God abides in us, and his love abides in us. And so suddenly, because of what God has done in the gospel, we actually are equipped to show this kind of sacrificial love because we have God in us in the form of the Holy Spirit helping us to show the world what this sacrificial love is like, 
to testify that Jesus is the Savior. Uh, and so these verses point that out in a number of different ways. Um, but this connection we have with the Father because of the Son through the Spirit empowers us to be able to show that love. We're fully equipped to show love to others. And then number three, God, God's love commands us to love others. And so it's not even just that we find motivation in God's love. It's not even just that we're able to because of God's love. Uh, but finally, we're commanded to. And it's actually loving of God to command us to because love is the good way to live. Uh, it saves us from worshiping ourselves. Um, it's the, as one uh, author I like puts it, it's the choreography of heaven uh, to give myself for you. Uh, it's what is good and right and joyful. So God's love commands us to love others. And you see this in chapter 4, verse 20, uh, down through chapter 5, verse 3. That section of five verses there uh, talks about it a bunch of times. This is the commandment uh, that if we say we love God, we're going to love others as well. Um, and that's his commandment. I really like the final phrase of verse 3. Uh, his commandments are not burdensome. The commandment to love is actually not burdensome. Why? Well, because of point number two. He's fully equipped us to show that love, right? And so what he's commanded us to do, uh, it's not burdensome. We're not trying to earn righteousness. We're not trying to you know, make it with God. We're not trying to just finally be accepted by him. No, no, no. All that is settled, <sighs> right? So then the commandment's not burdensome. Whoa, he filled me up with his love. So it just kind of is overflowing. Then it becomes, it's not that hard because of how he has loved me. Um, there's no fear in it. It's just, wow, I want to love you the way God has loved me. When there is abuse? Yeah, yeah. Well, keep in mind what love is, right? Love is doing uh, well. First of all, it's, it's pleasing the Lord. It's doing what is pleasing in God's eyes. It's abhorring what is evil, clinging to what is good. And love is doing what is good for others. So, in abusive situations, it becomes clear pretty quickly. Um, that for God and for the good of this person, the one being abused needs to get out of that scenario and to be protected from that. That's good for the abuser who should not be abusing them. And that's pleasing to the Lord because it protects the one who's being abused. So it's still very loving to take a person out of an abusive situation like that. Yeah, absolutely. Good question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. All right, so God's love commands us to love others. Um, how are we doing on time? Yeah, we better keep, keep moving here. You've got more blanks to fill in, so we'll get to them. Don't worry, don't worry. All right, whom do we need to love and serve? Whom do we need to love and serve? First of all, God. This one's pretty clear. We won't go to Matthew 22. That's the great command. You're familiar with that one. 
uh, we actually are to love our enemies. Now, again, the way we love our enemies is going to look different than the way we love God, obviously, and it should. Um, but love is still the determining factor, and it's what God has called us to do. Um, and so Luke six twenty seven through 33 is your reference there. We love unbelievers, right? God's told us to uh, show his love to a lost world, most particularly by sharing the gospel so they could find salvation in the name of Christ. Uh, we love our neighbors, right? Love our neighbors. And then that whole uh, Samaritan story, the good Samaritan story comes up because uh, the guy asks, well, who's my neighbor, right? Uh, trying to get out of having to love people. And uh, Jesus expands the circle to include a, a beat-up stranger on the side of the road uh, as your neighbor. So it's a pretty, pretty big circle there. We also love our physical families. Scripture talks about the family relationships and how we love each other in our, on our earthly families. Uh, but then we're also to especially show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Um, Galatians 6.10, I will go ahead and read this one. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, And so, you know, love and goodness is to be just our mode of operation for everybody, uh, but with a special focus on the body of Christ and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, So, yeah. So developing a true servant's heart. How do we carry out a heart of love? What does it look like to love instead of fearing and needing? And basically, in this section, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, which describes love for us. And it's another refreshing reminder. 1 Corinthians 13 is in the context of spiritual gifts. And so it's, it's a helpful reminder that this kind of love is not natural to me, right? So it's not just, you know, wired in me. I, what's natural to me, what's fleshly of me is, is love of self, selfishness. But as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest gift is love. And so the encouragement of that is that the Holy Spirit, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you have his help to show this kind of love. And I know it's, you know, read a list like this. and It's like, oh man, am I ever going to love <laughs> this way, the way 1 Corinthians uh, 13 describes. But there's real hope there because if you have God's Spirit, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't think about this one very much. We think of, uh, you know, the, uh, the other lists, but love is one of them. Uh, and so really quickly, here are, Uh, some of the the ways that love is described here. Love suffers long, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the picture of uh, the, the greatest gift, the greatest thing the Holy Spirit empowers us to do uh, is to show love. Um, and so that can become... It, it, here's maybe a suggestion. If, if there are specific individuals in your life that um, you have struggled with fear of man, they're, they're intimidating to you, or uh, for whatever reason, it's just been a source of that sort of fear of man, um, maybe think and pray through this list and, and ask for wisdom from the Lord to know, how, how do I replace that fear with first, satisfaction in God's love, second, God's kind of love toward this person, you know, and what, what would that look like? And, and so it's just kind of a helpful replacement. I'm, I'm good, I have God's love. But then how can I show that kind of love to this person? And that's going to be, you know, it takes discernment. It's going to be different in lots of different scenarios. Um, let's continue on here. We have a little bit of a list. Number one, consider your motivation even when it comes to loving and serving others. <laughs> Sometimes we're so twisted. Sometimes even our love and service can be about me, right, or what I want from them. I think I mentioned one week this can come up a lot in, in, in marriage. Uh, I do something really nice for my wife because I also want something from her, right? So maybe I have a big question I want to ask her, like, hey, I've been thinking about buying this thing, and I know it's a little bit, you know, over our budget this month. Um, so I think, okay, well, what might help her answer that question with a yes is if I do something a little nice for her first, right? So what am I doing? It looks like I'm loving and serving, but I'm just serving myself. So we have to watch out for that. We have to consider our motivations. Not that something like that has ever happened in our home, but anyway. (laughs) Number two, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Here's the encouragement of Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So look to Christ. He's our example there. And then verses 5 through 11 just track his lowering of himself for our good. Number three, pray regularly for other people. And, and, and I would just add to that, pray uh, biblical prayers for other people and not the imprecatory psalms. Um, those are the psalms that are like, oh, Lord, destroy my enemies. You know, okay, so let's, let's stay away from those for now. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, when I say pray for people, you know, you're not praying for their harm, but praying for their good and praying regular for people uh, really does cultivate uh, love and affection for them. And the Lord will do that in your hearts. And then think about how you can minister to others in specific ways. Um, he says here, scheme for the good of others. So a lot of our scheming is for ourselves, right? Like, ooh, how can I, if I do this and then I do this, I can get just what I want, right? We, we're always scheming. He says, actually scheme ways that you can serve others, you know, maybe even without them knowing. Uh, that should be the kind of scheming that we're doing. I kind of like that. Plot out ways you can lovingly serve others.
So maybe only your Father in heaven knows. That's a great test of fear of man. Uh, (laughs) How does it go when I do something loving or sacrificial and nobody knows about it? You ever done something like that and it just kind of eats at you and you just find yourself the next time you're with somebody, oh, I got to tell you this story. I did this for this person the other day. It was great. I just really served them. And oh man, I said it, you know, it's hard to keep it where it's only God who knows and to be satisfied with that. It's a good test of our fear of man or fear of others. So what does this result in? What does this result in? Unity. That's again, Philippians chapter two. He begins with, uh, where, you know, to have the same mind, to have the same thinking, the same passion, same heart. Where does that all come from? Well, that's where he moves to humility. It, it, it leads to this kind of unity. Uh, it leads to genuine respect and appreciation for others. When I stop seeing people as, you know, present to meet my needs, and I begin seeing them as just brothers and sisters made in the image of God, people I can love and serve, actually begin really appreciating people and noticing the, the beautiful ways that God has made one another. And, you know, personality quirks that used to annoy me because they kept me from getting what I wanted from them, all of a sudden become things I can easily bear with and show patience to and show love and kindness to you. So God uses it to create respect and appreciation of others. And then finally, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, and so on, all of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Got all the blanks? Okay, here's our conclusion. When you are gripped by fear of man, look up to the Lord and remember his power and love. Remember that waterfall of love from him, one directional. Let that change the flow. Uh, Instead of needing things from people, you're here to serve and give uh, to people. His perfect love casts out your fear. In his love, you're accepted, protected, and justified. By his love, you are equipped to love him and others. So look out for opportunities to bring him glory by loving others the way he loved us. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.